Welcome to episode two in our breastfeeding podcast series with Amberly Harris. In this episode, we cover the incredible breast crawl. If you haven't heard of this before, you will most definitely want to know about it. It is such a magical and physiological way to initiate breastfeeding. Enjoy. Hey mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. It's pregnancy with Physiola. Hello and welcome back to episode two of the Breastfeeding Podcast Series. I really hope you enjoyed the first episode in this series where we discuss the basic 101 of what you need to know to set up a successful and confident breastfeeding relationship. For those of you who missed episode one in this series, I do strongly recommend you go back and listen to this first as it will give you the foundational knowledge that you'll need to understand today's episode and future episodes really well. And for those who just want to jump straight into the entire breastfeeding series, it is now up inside my online program, The Pregnancy Posse. This entire breastfeeding series, plus a bonus episode on pumping, hand expressing demonstrations and baby latch demonstrations is now live for all Posse members to enjoy. You can find out more about The Pregnancy Posse and trial it for seven days by visiting thepregnancyposse.com. Amberly Harris is today going to teach us everything that she knows about the magical breast crawl. Amberly is a midwife who runs her own private practice breastfeeding consultancy business. She is my personal go-to breastfeeding expert and I just know you're going to love her. You can find Amberly over on social media at Maternal Instincts by Amberly. In today's episode, Amberly and I discuss the breast crawl. This is honestly a concept that I knew very little about, but has now inspired me to try the breast crawl for my next baby, as it sounds like such a physiological and magical experience. We discuss the importance of the breast crawl and how to facilitate it, reasonable timeframes to expect it to happen, and to also ask hospital staff to allow you the space for this to happen. We discuss breast crawl after a C-section and the importance of skin to skin and building up oxytocin after a major surgery. And we personally discuss Amberly's experience with a VBAC and C-section and whether she noticed any difference in her breastfeeding journeys after such different birth experiences. I know you're going to love this episode, so don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player so that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes in this series. In the next few episodes in this series, we will be discussing antenatal expressing and the importance of collecting colostrum before birth, breastfeeding troubleshooting, so when things don't quite go to plan, i.e. mastitis, nipple pain and damage and supply issues, as well as we'll be busting through a whole heap of super common breastfeeding myths. But for now, let's learn all about this magical breast crawl. I saw an amazing video on this and I actually think they did play it in the hospital classes and I think it was a relatively new thing Um, but it was a totally new concept to me I didn't quite believe it to be honest until I saw it I was like but babies can't move they can't crawl so can you (laughs) explain to anyone who's never heard about this what is the breast crawl yeah perfect so yeah as mammals we have this ability to be born to be put placed on our mother's chest 
Um, imagine like our fellow primates um, are very good at this as well, um, but really any other mammals in the mammalian kingdom, um, we have this ability for our instincts and mainly our senses, we use all of our senses to search and find the breast. And we actually are very capable of self-attaching if we are given the time to do it, if we give our babies the time to do it. So um, it's this amazing sequence. It's been studied very heavily and all babies do the same thing, which is why it's really cool and why if you can learn about it and, and see some breast crawls, what you're talking about, Laura, is perfect. If you can actually visually see what a baby does, it helps you sort of identify the stages and then you can watch your, your own baby do it and you know that it's all really normal. So um, the first stage is a baby when they're in the center of their mum's boobs that will salivate and they chew on their hands and it's a way to sort of comfort and sort of center themselves and sort of get themselves ready for the next step. And then from there, they sort of go, and they do, they literally crawl. They bring their knees up to their chest and they sort of leverage on their elbows and they launch themselves from their mum's sternum down, all the way down, slowly, slowly, so that they're kind of in a horizontal position in line with their mum's boob. Um, and then they work really hard um, at sort of using their hands to sort of, um, yeah, basically leverage again either side of the breast and they bob their heads. There's a couple of very strong reflexes that they do then. There's the bobbing reflex, which is when they bob up and down and then the rooting reflex when they shake their head from side to side and they open their mouth many times and will try repeatedly and eventually they'll just grab hold and go on and attach to the breast. See, even though I've seen that, just hearing you say that still blows my mind. Yeah. A baby, and like it's a obviously a survival instinct. They yeah. need to be born with the reflexes to be able to feed because if no one's there to help you get on, you need to be able to survive. But that still blows my mind that they are able to do that because can a newborn see or are they doing that by smell? What's the predominant yeah. way that they find it? So they can see. Uh, it's just not super clear. But the distance they can see really well is between a mother's breast to her face. That distance they're actually really good at. Um, but anything further than that is just all kind of colour. And, and it's not super in focus for them, which is why the nipple and areola gets darker and it helps them um, with that with that yeah sense of sight. Um, but the main sense that they're actually using is their sense of smell. Um, they can smell the nipple and areola is very glandular and it secretes a substance which helps them find the breast. So we always have sort of been told to, to, that it's the milk, that babies you know can smell the colostrum or the milk. It's actually more so that nipple and areola, um, that glandular tissue that's helping them out and helping them find their way. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's, yeah, it is so cool. I think it's also to remember as well, in our current sort of maternity climate, there is a lot of reasons why babies don't do the breast crawl organically. Um, so, you know, things might be like if their mother has had like an induced labor and maybe it's been a long labor and the baby is exhausted after the birth. Um, maybe it's been a really short labor and your baby is a bit in shock and is trying to sort of regulate their breathing first before they're going to be very motivated to, to breastfeed. Um, maybe you've had pain relief in labor that um, is, has got some opioids in it that is going to affect your baby's ability to open their mouth and coordinate the suck-swallow reflex. So there's lots of reasons why it's okay if your baby needs help with the breast crawl. They may do part of it, but then they might kind of get really tired and need to have a rest and they sort of don't do the next step. And the other thing is it takes time. It takes a good hour, maybe longer, 
maybe shorter, maybe, you know, 30 minutes, um, but on average 30 to 60 minutes to do the breast crawl. So all I would recommend everyone do is sort of peg the time, sort of look at the time and note, okay, my baby was born at 10 a.m. That means if my little one hasn't attached by 11 a.m., then I'm going to ask the midwife for help. I'm going to ask someone to give me a hand. But if, if in the meantime, the midwife or any, is, even though they mean well, if they come in, come in and try and facilitate that attachment, it's so reasonable for you to say, actually, we would love to watch the breast crawl unfold. And if our baby doesn't get on within the hour, and if you've got a little bit more time, great. But generally, hospitals are trying to hurry this process up because it takes time. Um, but yeah, my plan is always to, you know, remind mothers that it's okay to ask for that time because it's so important. It's the first breastfeed puts like this imprint in a baby's mind as to how they're supposed to breastfeed going forward. Um, and it doesn't mean that if it doesn't go well, it can't be, you know, um, repaired. Um, but it just means that it's sort of a less than ideal start. So if you can give your baby that, that time, it's going to go a long way. And I can see, um, like you said, about there's time frames and it's not necessarily set up to support a breast call, but that's where it's really great if women can empower themselves with this knowledge, if they decide that's something that's really important to them, that they know then that this is a reasonable time frame to to expect the baby to get on so that um, they know what they're working with. Because I remember watching the breast crawl video <laughs> and myself being like, oh, just just pop baby on. Like I was just getting really out. impatient. I was like, it's so close. <laughs> just, just pop it on. Yeah. And that's and a, a really good how, point. Yeah. When Out of interest, when you watched that video, had you was this with your second baby or with your first baby? Oh, I, I feel like I, I, my memory's haze, but I yeah. feel like it was with my first okay, yeah. before I had even started breastfeeding. So yeah. I, I do think it was my first experience of anything. It's not like I had a history of experience with breastfeeding, but I do remember finding myself being like, just help it. Come on. It's so <laughs> like, cause you know how it roots, you yeah. know, a lot, yeah. um, right around the nipple. And yeah. obviously it's my personality just to want to, <laughs> I'm like that with my children as well. You know, I'm trying to foster independence, yeah. but sometimes yeah. I just want to go, oh, let me help you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But I think it's really good to know because then you can just relax and go, you know what? There's no rush. There's yeah, an hour to do this. Good. And is there like a time frame? So say after an hour, is your baby going to get hungry? Like what is the, what's the problem with um, waiting longer than an hour? Yeah, that's a good question. It's not so much that your baby gets hungry. It's more that babies after birth have a certain window that they're alert and, and interested in breastfeeding. And then they kind of reach a point where they need to have a nap. They need, and they yeah. have a really great sleep after the birth. It's like this recovery sleep. And so we've only got so long where we want to help your baby out to get on um, if, if they haven't got on within the hour um, or otherwise we might lose, like miss that perfect window. And then once your little one's gone to sleep, then really our option is just to express and give some colostrum in a syringe. So it's more to do with that, not that they're going to get super hungry, um, but yeah, you would like to feed them within a couple of hours of the birth. So um, yeah, that's really what that's about. And what about the C-section mummers? So it's obviously a little bit trickier given that they've just had abdominal surgery, but is there any reason they can't do the breast crawl? 
No, not at all. Um, it, yeah, exactly. It's a bit, it's a bit more uncomfortable. Um, they can't sit up right. But the cool thing mm. is the breast crawl, the best position for the breast crawl is on like a 45 degree angle. So cesarean mums are absolutely fine to get into that position um, yes. as long as they can feel comfortable. Um, but yeah, they don't need to sit all the way upright. So it's, it's totally fine um, okay. as long as they can, yeah, feel like they can at least have the bed put on an angle and they've got some good pain relief on board so that if they need to maneuver a little bit, they can. Um, yes. But yeah, totally fine to do this. And, and exactly, it's very important for all mums to do, um, especially mums who've had a cesarean, that they get given that time to establish their breastfeeding. Yeah, absolutely. No, I really like that. And I was actually on a 45 degree angle after a cesarean anyway. I was yeah. never flat on my back. So yeah. I think it was a great position to probably try. Yeah. I've never tried. I feel like I might try a breast crawl if I have a third baby. This is sounding you so must. fascinating to me. <laughs> do it, do it. Uh, I, I can see the hesitancy, like my first reaction, uh, maybe it's a people pleaser trait or something, but I yeah. think, oh God, it seems like a lot of hassle to have to ask everyone, blah, 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 blah. But then I don't know I just really like your attitude it's like well no it's your baby and if it's something that's important to you I think there's no harm in asking like if there's no medical reason why um, you can't wait then why not like I think we do have that culture of like got to get it done now we've got to try it now while I'm here watching you you know rush 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 but um yeah I like that window of an hour for women to know that no let's give it a chance and let's see how we go but also to know that that there is a plan b and that it doesn't I because I think um because a lot of women take things black and white and I think it's also important to probably say here if you don't have a breast crawl and if you don't have all these perfect things set up, it does not mean that you will not have a good breastfeeding relationship. So I didn't have a breast crawl and I had two seizures and I had all the yeah. things that should work out exactly. and I had a wonderful breastfeeding relationship. So I think it's just like this is the ideal and this yep. is amazing if you can, but if it doesn't happen, don't freak out. It doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Absolutely. So, so true. There's so much with breastfeeding. I think it's just about getting help along the way and that if things do pop up that wasn't part of your plan or you're like, okay, my baby isn't really attaching, it's like, okay, well, let's seek some help with that. How can we get that going? Um, But a lot of things, a lot of mothers will contact me and, yeah, say, look, I know I need to have a cesarean. I know it's not ideal for your breastfeeding, but what can I do to help? And it's like, that's okay. Like, you know, if you've got a medical reason that you need to have um, a cesarean, so fine so you know your greatest ally any mother who's going to have a cesarean um, and wants to really um, focus on how they can best set themselves up for success with breastfeeding um, is using skin to skin skin to skin is your biggest ally with um with your breastfeed so that means most of your breastfeeds your baby's going to be in only a nappy and you're going to be bare from the waist up and you're going to do that breast crawl and let your baby use all of their senses you need your baby to you know really tap into those instincts feel home learn where home Mm. is and it's good obviously it's very important for everyone learning how to breastfeed Um, but mothers who've had a cesarean it's just because we know statistically they're more likely to have separation between their baby Um, you know maybe not maybe um, some some hospitals are very forward thinking and they're doing skin to skin contact in theater um, Mm. like baby gets placed over the drape but more often than not most hospitals are still taking babies to the resuscitator they're drying them off wrapping them up and bringing them to mum and putting them on their chest 
And then it's not until mothers get into recovery that babies will have the blankets taken away and they'll be on mum's skin. Um, mm. So it's not a major deal. It might be half an hour of time, but it is mm. a time that that separation can can impact that very first breastfeed. Um, so mm-hmm. that's why make up for lost time. Do as much skin to skin that you can in those first few days and weeks just to help your baby with that and help yes. your milk supply is the other thing. We The, the other side of that with cesarean mamas is that it's the birth of the placenta which really triggers milk production. And, um, and so we know that with a vaginal birth, it's, you know, this cascade of hormones that peak, um, the baby's born, then there's the delivery of the placenta. And then hormonally, our body knows the placenta's been born and it says, okay, I need to start making milk for this baby. And it triggers milk production. So for with a cesarean, we just don't have that same hormonal uh, experience. We still have it. It's just that the placenta just gets lifted out of the uterine cavity. And so we still get the messages. It's just a bit delayed, which is why milk production for mothers who have a cesarean can take a few more days compared to a vaginal birth. So, mm. you know, these none of these things are beyond repair. It, it just means that putting in some extra time with the skin to skin is going to really help you and your baby out with your breastfeeding. Yeah, that's great. I think that's such a practical thing that you know you can do even if birth doesn't go as you expected. And would that be the same for mothers who have had a natural delivery but for some reason have had separation, whether it be because they have needed help or bubs has needed help? Same thing, lots of skin to skin, get that oxytocin pumping. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's all about skin to skin. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's a lot of effort. I've got to get this suit off. And, you know, most babies hate their clothes being taken off. And I get that it feels like more effort. But when you get your baby there well firstly it feels amazing as a mother to have your baby on your skin um but i guess just remember what what it's doing remember this amazing role that it's playing yeah and i wonder um just came to me then if say you've had to go under g at general anesthetic for a caesar and you are going to be apart from your baby for a while is it worthwhile your partner doing skin to skin like will that sort of make up for it if mum can't do it herself absolutely skin to skin is is huge because as touch is actually the first of all the senses to be developed which means it's the most heightened so it's going to be such a beautiful feeling for your baby um it's going to really create a lovely bond with you and your partner so definitely Mm -hmm. if mum can't do it skin to skin with with partners or I actually recommend siblings do it as well as a really cool way to yeah really connect with their little one um because it's just it's a huge thing for our babies to feel yeah that sense of touch it's it's just so good for them this is making me so clucky. The idea of having a newborn on my chest, like it's such a fleeting moment in time, isn't yeah, it? It just it goes by so fast. Mm. Just before we move on, we're going to talk about troubleshooting, but I was just thinking if you're happy to answer personally, Amberly, I know you've had one C-section and you've had a natural delivery as well. Yeah. Did you notice any change in your milk supply when your milk came in? Um, any changes in your lactation at all between the two? Not for me, probably because I had my cesarean first and that was my first breastfeeding experience and I was still breastfeeding my son when I had my daughter. I tanned and fed them. Um, so for me, I guess my milk came in really quickly but probably more so because it was my second baby, not necessarily because I'd had a vaginal birth. So we know okay. that we are, with milk production, um, you're, we lay down the, our milk ducts during pregnancy 
So how, however much milk you made with your first baby, you're going to make more milk with your second, more milk with your third. And we know that with, yeah, with each baby, our milk comes in sooner. So probably my story was more just to do with the fact that I was having my second baby and I was still breastfeeding. So my milk came in really quickly. Um, not so much, I'm guessing, the difference in the type of births that I had. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. good to know. So anyone who's had a terrible first baby experience can expect that hopefully it might be a little bit simpler or more straightforward next time. Absolutely. Okay. That's a really important message because I actually, that's probably the biggest um like cohort of mothers that I work with are mothers who've had a first breastfeeding journey that didn't go as they'd hoped. Um, mm. And then I work with them with subsequent babies. Um, and that that's why I really admire mothers that are motivated to work at it the next time, mm. because honestly, they have such great success with it. Um, and it's just because they're prepared to accept that not every, every journey is the same. This can be different and yes. I'm going to really seek support and I'm going to prepare myself the best way possible. Yeah, that's so great. Not just accepting that if you've had one bad time, the rest are going. I see the same with prolapse or incontinence. Yeah. Um, women who have had it with their first child just assume it will get worse. But what I find, again, knowledge is power. Once you actually have the education to manage these things, often I find women are so much better second time around just because they know. And yeah. same with breastfeeding. Once you know a little bit more about it and know what to expect and know how to troubleshoot and how to set yourself up, then it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be yeah, the same as the first time or worse. It's probably going to be better. So yeah. so yeah. if you are pregnant and listening to this and you had a terrible experience first time, it's probably worth knowing that you can do something during your pregnancy to arm yourself with the, the knowledge needed to, to set yourself up for success. Thank you, Amberly. You're, you're wonderful. Now, are you too now inspired to try a breast crawl for your next baby? Because I know I am. <laughs> it sounds like such a beautiful, patient and physiologically normal way to initiate breastfeeding. And now I think it also goes without saying, if you don't get to experience a breast crawl, it does not mean you won't have a great breastfeeding relationship. This podcast series is not to say that if you do X, you will breastfeed well. And if you do Y, you will not. The world is not black and white. So this is just giving you information to make informed choices. So I personally have had two wonderful and long breastfeeding relationships and I've had on paper all the things that shouldn't make that happen. C-sections, separated from baby, no breast crawl, etc., etc. So I just wanted to mention that for anyone thinking that this is the only way, it is not. So I hope you enjoyed that episode, ladies. And remember, if you want to have access to this entire breastfeeding series all at once, it is now available to all Pregnancy Posse members. We also have exclusive content for members only on pumping, hand expressing demonstrations and correct baby latch positions too. You can find out more and trial the Posse for seven days by visiting thepregnancyposse.com. I'll catch you for episode three, where we are chatting about breastfeeding troubleshooting. So when things don't quite go to plan, we'll be covering mastitis, milk supply issues, and nipple pain and damage.